Welcome to Managing Marketing. We're in London. It's a cold, wet day, but uh, the warmth is radiating here at RGA as we uh, we welcome you to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we talk about all things that are marketing, media and advertising. And today I'm sitting down, well, actually catching up with Rob Campbell, <laughs> the uh, head of strategy EMEA at RGA. He's also the author of a terrific uh, blog, if you get a chance, it's The Musings of an Opinionated Sod. Yeah. Welcome, Rob. Thank you very much indeed. It's good to see you. It's been a long, long time. It has been a long time. It was actually in Sydney at one of those Mumbrella 360s. Well, even before that, it was in Melbourne when before I was at that. JWT launching the Ford car. That's when we met. The I think the last time. time I saw you yeah, was last actually time was in, in Mumbrella. Yeah, definitely. Mm. This, uh, how long have you been doing the musings of the opinionated sod? Uh, I think about 12 years. Uh, the, I always joke I've won blog survivor because it was, it was such a big thing back then. But I've just kept going. Me and Martin Weigel at Wyden, my um, my uh, love in many respects. So yeah, it's just been a long, long time. Well, your other life partner. Yeah, my other life partner. Yeah, much to my wife's dismay. <laughs> She's sharing you with That's a, it, yeah. another love, with well, Martin, or actually, yeah. you two are, uh, are combined by a love of great strategy, yeah, aren't you? and great yeah, and great work. Hopefully, yeah, yeah that's the goal. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting because I've been a uh, reader of your blog. And one of the things I find is you are incredibly generous mm. in sharing things that are incredibly personal. Mm. Was that what you set out to do or has it just evolved that way? I think I set out to do it. There were a couple of things. One, I think everyone was kind of doing it then. So I felt, well, oh, I should, if I'm being honest. But I think part of it was... I was in a job that I don't think I deserved and didn't think I was really good enough for. And I realized that the job ended up having me do a bunch of stuff where I was using my brain for things that were new, but not the things that I love, which is creativity and just working humans. So I did it, to be honest, more for me. And then some old colleagues and old clients started doing it and then it just became, I'm very, I have an addictive personality. So it kind of sticks, but the, so it's just stayed. The bit that I think um, about the openness is my mum always, my mum and dad were very uh, passionate about being uh, honest and authentic and not being fearful of that. And the bit that, one of the things that moved me the most actually was my wife said that when she, she can't read it, um, mainly because it's so much of it is rubbish and she's got better taste. But um, she can't read it because she hears my voice. Of course. And the bit that I like the idea of is that for my son, he will one day have that. Um, but yeah, I've always, I've always kind of been that person that's gone, well, can we talk about this? And I think it's disarmed people, not because I'm doing it to be an asshole, but because I care about like society and, and subcultures and humanity. For, and so it's been quite open. And then when my mum, my mum died, um, it was because my dad died in 95 and it basically, it fucked me up for 10 years, to be mm. honest. Um, and when my mum died, my son was three months old 
So I was going through a real aspect. And what my blog well, did... Well, becoming a parent, yeah. at the same time you lose yeah, your surviving totally. parent. Yeah. It, it was a really helpful aspect. I still... I know not, I don't think people read it, so I'm quite surprised when people do. And it's not me being... It's like I, I write for me quite a lot of the time. Occasionally I write posts where I know I've written it for someone. And I'm almost shocked at that. <laughs> well, look, you know, because what I get from it is, because I know you, yeah. so I also hear your voice yeah. when I'm reading it. I love the humour. A lot of it's self-deprecating. Totally. Right? Which is interesting because, you know, there's not a lot of people that pull off self-deprecating humour. Most people are inclined to come across as you know, often snide or a little bit sarcastic. And so that humour is incredibly accessible because, you know, it's, it's you having a laugh at yourself mm. and the situations you've found yourself in or you've created or whatever. And the other thing is the authenticity because I think by sharing your feelings and your, yeah. your feelings about the things, people absolutely can relate to that. Yeah, I mean, I have had a lot of people that probably are a bit familiar with me because they've read my blog and they think they know me, which can be a double-edged sword in some respects. I know that um, feeling. Yeah, I can imagine. And But the... I mean, the thing that's quite interesting is... It's funny, a friend of mine said, you don't get many people who are just trolls on there. And it's because my mates, old colleagues, even old clients, they troll me every day, <laughs> which is kind of take, <laughs> taking the work out of other people. Yeah. So, but what's interesting is... A bit like for a lot of people when Facebook started it or Friends Reunited before that, it was a place where people could stay connected. It's kind of had, it's really weird. People have come and gone, but it's, yeah, because it's the same people generally, there's a real, for me, it's like it's a, it's a special place. Not from an ego thing, it's a special place because I do think about things and I like the fact that I can look back and go, wow, my opinion on that has changed so, so much. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so because it's also, it struck me a little bit, like, you know, I've got an aunt who writes the family letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every Christmas, you yeah. know, and it's written for everyone, so it doesn't feel very personal, you know, um, except that you've done it almost on a, you know, it feels like it's daily. It's yeah. not... Monday yeah, to Friday. Monday to Friday. And, and it's incredibly personal. Mm. Like, it's not dear, insert name here. Yeah. Um, Jeremy had a very good year at school this year. You know, yeah. and you get it every Christmas. And you know, well, it's a one way of staying. Did does it also fulfil a role for you of keeping people abreast of where you are? Because, and I don't just mean geographically, because you have you know Australia, China, yeah. the US, and now back in the UK. Yeah. But also where you are in your life. Um, do you know what's interesting is that that would make it sound in some respects as if it was planned and it hasn't been the whole thing has been like a happy accident but for me there are elements where it is like a diary it is like a diary a very um, public yeah, diary, very public diary. <laughs> um, but I suppose that I wrote this post years ago what's been interesting is it's helped me work things out so I wrote this post years ago about pivotal people and there are people who've had a huge impact on my life outside of my family, and they might have met me just for a day, or I've worked with them. Um, and I want to be that someone else, not for ego, but 
where I've been able to succeed in my life, so much of that has been luck and belief that I, I don't know if I really have been worthy of that, but I've had it. And even just being able to talk about that and what it means, what, what, where I do get some joy is when people just are able to talk about stuff they might not have had. When my mum died, there's a month of posts about that. I wrote about it within seven hours of her dying. Mm -hmm. For me, it, mm -hmm. I needed an out. And well, how people was, talk about it? It was, uh, I, I read that particular section because my mother passed away 14 I years ago and dad passed away two years ago. Yeah. Um, for me, reading that, it was the first stage of grief, mm. which was, you know, sort of coming to terms with this has yeah. happened, you know. Because yeah. a lot of it was you sharing things that this meant. Yeah. Like what was the immediate impact yeah. of realising, and especially what was particularly poignant was in the context of your son and mm -hmm. worrying about him not really ever knowing yeah. her. Yeah, mm -hmm. it was... Yeah, it's, a, it's funny. I occasionally go back to read it. Can't read them all. No. But what's been actually quite nice, because the next stage of that is I'm selling my family home. Yeah. But I wrote a lot about it there and I've written a bunch of stuff. I, I, I suppose for me, it's like, I believe, without wanting to sound like it's crass, I believe, I believe in creativity more than advertising. And I believe great creativity is absolutely driven by understanding the weird and the wonderful of emotions, hypocrisies, fears and loves of people. And for me, expressing it is almost like, I don't know, for me, it's just like, that is what life is. And if we, but the thing I find really interesting is, it's like when I was in China, I found it interesting that nobody ever talked about sex. But there's one thing people in China were doing, they were having a lot of sex, because, yeah. you know, and, and people don't talk about death. And all these things are happening, and people don't talk about what fear is, and people don't talk about hypocrisy, and not because people are evil, we all that. For me, it's also about just this expression of, I don't know, part of it is maybe a reminder to myself. And now it's become, you know, semi-popular for young planners to basically go, don't forget that bit. Mm. Um, don't forget that. But it's all been a massive accident. It's not anything see, else. See, I don't see it because I'm not living your life, obviously. Yeah. But <laughs> see, I see the person you are, the mm. person I know you to be, the person I see in that. Yeah. There is nothing else from my perspective, you could be than who you are and what you're yeah, doing. Totally, yeah, because yeah. you are such a person that is curious and engaged with the people around you. And mm. I say that because one of the things I love, especially in China, was the relationships that you had with your team and your yeah, colleagues. Yeah. And the way you grew that team, mm. you may, you know, they, they were talented people, right. but yeah. in, when you went to China, the idea of strategists, mm. communication strategists, or whatever mm. you want to title them, yeah. would have been relatively unknown. And you went through and found people, and you nurtured them, and you encouraged them. And when you left, you've still got fantastic yeah, friendships with yeah, those I mean, people. They, I mean, there were a lot of people who did a lot of work that allowed that to happen for me as well. And they were, like you said, super talented. Mm. Um, uh, I love that country. Um, Ironically, I feel that more, I feel more at home in China than anywhere else on earth. Um, yeah, huge. It, it changed my life, fundamentally changed my life. Um, 
But I suppose part of it, my mum always said, care about what other people care about. But I also believe I have a responsibility to make people better than they thought they could be. So when they leave, they get a better job than they thought they could be. It's, that's been bred in me. And, but yeah, I, I loved, I love it. The team I've got now, you know, they're a whole bunch of different people. My dream, this is my sentimental side. My dream is that everyone that I've had the privilege of working with, we all meet. This sounds very melodramatic. I'd love it uh, for us all to get together at some point. Um, not around me, but more around us, because they've introduced me to people. Yeah, it's, but yeah, China was amazing. Everywhere I've lived has been that, but China, because it was the most different. I had to relearn normal, um, or whatever normal is. And, and those values, ironically, have stuck with me now, which drives people nuts. <laughs> the interesting thing is that then in uh, February this, uh, this year, 2019, you wrote a post. Yeah about an experience where you were left feeling uh, you, you know, your confidence had been undermined, yeah. you felt that you were uh, questioning you know, your, your ability, your yeah. place, all of these things. You know, this is almost the opposite because a lot of what you usually write about, is, you know, apart from the rants, yeah. is about the positive nature of the human condition. Yeah. But this was quite a very honest and, and, and dark in a way, expose of the dark side yeah. of working within some agencies, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, tell, tell us, tell what got you to that point? Because you're about to go on, on a, a holiday. I think. Yeah. You announced I'm not going I, to be I, well, I was going to, I think I was flying to China or something, mm-hmm. but a meeting. Um, goes back a bit because my I love my best friend. I've known him since the day he was born. Like, he's like a brother to me. And his wife is utterly amazing. And we met, this is going back a while, but I remember talking, and she'd started a new job. And she'd been in the company for a long time and changed. And we asked, you know, we, we said, why don't you spend Christmas with us? And my best friend said, thank you for doing that, because what you don't know is she's been going through a lot. And so when we all got together, she started talking about it and how she felt undermined how she questions herself. This is a person who's in a, like, qualified as a lawyer, like an incredibly smart, unbel- it, it is physically impossible not to fall in love with her. She's an amazing human. And then she said all this stuff, and I was like going, oh, I feel this. Mm. Um, so it resonated with It you. resonated, but the, and then I realised, oh, why haven't I said a lot of this? And I've realised why, because you are, you are treated in such a way where you feel it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going back a while. And then I spoke to some other people. And then, I, and by me bringing it up, it was almost like this. Oh, I, I've had that. And it's not, you know, there was a lot of people going, oh, they can't cut it. That's the usual thing, blame. These are people who I have holding the highest regards. We all have our foibles, I get that. But then I was like, the fa- ironically, it wasn't that it was happening to me, though. It was devastating to me. It really was. It was that it happened to her. And so I felt I wanted to write about it. It's also the damage it does to people. Because it's interesting, after you wrote that, I shared that with a lot of people. And almost to the person, almost every person had had experienced that in their career at some stage. It's so widespread. And yet, as you say, it's not something 
that we openly talk about. We are made to feel it's our fault, yeah. which is where it became corporate gaslighting for me um, yeah. as an expression. Uh, I got, it was interesting, when I posted it, I got over, I think, 300 personal stories. And it was funny because it bothered, it deeply bothered me. And I was going, well, what am I going to do about it then, Rob? That, that was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this shit's happening. No one's talking about it. I kind of opened it up. And I'm old. This happened a long time ago. The fact that it happened to me, I was like, because I'm known as being quite a bullish pain in the ass of immaturity. In well, a lot no, of I think an opinionated soul. Yeah, okay. Is, <laughs> but I, but the yeah, fact you, that, you put the title yeah, on that's me. that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or my wife probably came So own it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the fact, I was like going, well, if I admit it, then maybe it might help other people as well. Yeah. And so then I decided to start a website. And the website's goal is simply to make sure that people suffering it will realise they're not alone. And also, if any boss is worried that they are part of it, they could read it and maybe they can see what they could, they could change. It's not mentioning names. I, I, I have a big belief that good people can do stupid things. I, I'm not saying everyone that does that is a prick. Okay, that some are. But if you don't realise it, you can go bad. And I've just, I just, I, I don't want, going a bit further back, when I, when I lived in America, there were um, three people of colour that changed my life. And the biggest way they changed my life was, uh, it's not good enough not to be like that, you have to act. And this is part of it. I know it sounds, I want my son to, one day when I've gone, look at his dad and go, oh, he, he, he did stuff rather about it stuff rather than just rather than just stood by and yeah. not contribute. Yeah, and yeah. because you're complicit, it took me a long right. time to work that out. And what's been interesting, those three hundred people when I said at the website, two hundred and fifty said, "Could you not publish it?" Yeah, I've had stories. I've, I've had stories that I've published that I've been asked to take down. Of course, I will do. It's mm. always anonymous. But there are a lot of people of incredible talent who feel worthless for no other reason than they don't fit the agenda of someone who is on an ego power trip. I, it, it was really confronting for me being labelled a white, older male mm. with privilege. Yeah. Because my existence in my life never felt like no. it had privilege. Yeah. I didn't walk around going, oh, I'm privileged. No. You know? But clearly I am. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and one of the things that I became aware of is, well, if I have that privilege, then I should be using it to contribute to bringing about the change yeah. that we want. I mean, it's been a really interesting journey the last few years for me. Um, a while back, I spoke at a conference where they'd only invited one woman. And I was asked, well, you should pull out and make space for a woman. And my first reaction was, but I really enjoy what I'm going to do. And I feel I can offer value. But then I kept thinking about going, they're right, though. But then it, that's where I learned, actually, I have to make space. It doesn't even mean that there are many alternatives to this. And that I asked an insanely talented uh, colleague of mine to come along with me and do that. But along the, the way, yes, we are incredibly privileged. And there's lots of people that feel hard done by that. When I wrote a post earlier about needing to make space for female leadership, Mm. I copped a lot of shit from men. Mm. I said, I'm not anti-men here, but we've had it pretty good. And then people said, well, it's all right for you. You've already got that. I said, I, I, I get that. I said, I, I can't change that. Yeah. What I can change is that, but... I sorry, sorry. that's incredibly unfair. 
That's an in, because one of the ways that you that I've seen you yeah. grow your career is by growing the people, and you have grown such diverse groups of people. It's not like in your career I've seen you just collect a whole lot of other white men and grow them into a strategy team. You've grown racially, um, uh, gender diverse, you know, all, uh, uh, even yeah. economically diverse I, groups I, of people. I think the issue, though, was more that people uh, were like going, well, you've achieved a lot in your career, so you now being able to say... It's a bit like when a, a multimillionaire but, says... Uh, we should stop driving cars. And you go, well, that's fine for you because you can afford to do all these other aspects of it. I, I, I'm not knocking it. I totally hear it. Mm. I totally hear where it's coming from. But I want to be in a position where I, I am obsessed with making... If I thought my best creative days were behind me, I would give up. Mm. Because I want, I'm, I'm obsessed with doing stuff that's different and interesting with amazing, talented people. But... But in addition to that, um, it's no longer just, you know, I like having a career and I've done okay. But what I would like to do in addition to that and helping people focus on creativity, the best of it, is I would like to try and fuck up the system in a positive way. Because, I, because I've had the privilege of working around the world with such a diverse bunch of people. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an amazing uh, planner in China who I wanted to explore another country. My God, it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was so hard because there was so much prejudice towards that person simply because of where he came from. Regardless of that, he was amazing. He worked at an amazing agency. Uh, there was a lot of... And I'm like going... So for me, it's like, going, oh, I'm going to stuff that up. And to the point where I once got called saying, are you being prejudiced against white men? <laughs> and I said, so then I said, I am, because I was. And the reason I was, not because I want to upset men, of course not, but there was incredible talent, incredible talent who just didn't have a chance. And let me tell you, if you're of a different heritage or gender or sexual preference, they've had to work harder to get to the bottom than anyone who's mm. halfway up. I just want to help that, not... Because this industry survival will be about letting great people get to the top, and they can't. There is absolutely uh, barriers. Which, which you've set out to disrupt. Yeah. And because the only way you bring about change, you, can, you know, this idea that change occurs in incremental steps, human, human history shows that all change happens in huge quantum yeah. leaps. Then there's periods of static. Yeah. I mean, and then there's, well, everyone adjusts, yeah, and then there's and another quantum and, leap. And I suppose... Um, Corporate gaslighting to me, while there's many things I've, I've been very vehemently opposed to, I've been able to directly deal with that by how I work, the people I hire, the people I protect, the people I promote. Corporate gaslighting, because my, this happened to my very important person in my life, and it resonated because I was, it was like, whoa, this is, you articulate everything I feel. And then I started talking to others. And I was like going, okay. And this took a long time because there was a long gap between these incidents. But the fact that it still resonates so deeply. And I was like, well, I'd like to see if I can help. Yeah. Uh, Look, it happens in all industries. Mm, Your friend, I gather, was in a legal profession. Um, But I wonder sometimes whether advertising marketing is particularly toxic because, yes, 
we get told, you know, and we see the e the egomaniacs mm. and the narcissists here. But it also is an industry that attracts a lot of very people focused people. Mm -hmm. You know that one of the things is that it's uh, largely you know, the the cliche is it's all about relationships, mm. and so it attracts people that like people. Mm. And whether they're almost being set up in a way as lambs to the slaughter, because you know, if you are focused on wanting to get along with people and and collectively work to do the best job you can, then a narcissist can come into that like the wolf in the she uh, the pack of sheep, the flock yeah. of sheep. I mean, there are. I've worked in this industry for a long time, and there are some astounding people in there. Um, but without doubt, there's. I think there's a couple of factors. I think we're an industry that's constantly looking for the next thing because we love new. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is people who are part of the last new thing end up being in a situation where they're going, ooh. And so fear breeds a sense of um, change of behaviour, which often can manifest itself in um, dictatorial behaviour rather than encouragement. There was a, a guy at Wyden, Kim Papperworth, like one of the most wonderfully nice people on the planet. Yeah. And what I loved about Kim was ultimately the creative process. He never wanted ego to get in the way of that. He, had, he just said, you focus on the work, it's the work. If you ever bring something where it's about you rather than the work, then that's about you. He had an amazing way of doing it. It was a privilege to work with him on stuff. That's amazing because, yeah. you know, uh, it's uh, basically saying fig jam doesn't work here. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You know, it's... Um, and, you know, Dre here, there's, a, there's some people who have a really, they want to make the work work. But we're also in an industry where, you know, we're in the business of helping our clients be better than they thought they could be. And I said this to uh, use an Arsene Wenger quote a while back that everyone thinks this is terribly sexist in many ways. Um, everyone thinks they have the prettiest wife at home, basically meaning everyone thinks they can do their thing better than everyone else. Um, and there are some incredibly talented individuals who, who are freaks of nature. But there's also another aspect that no one's as good as all of us. But kind of that's, I do love RGA for that aspect, this sense of collaboration. I used to think collaboration was smiling while you're like stabbing something in the back, you know. Um, but it's, 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 it's smiling yeah, assassin. It's been amazing here, actually. Yeah. It's like people are like, oh, yeah, I actually want to contribute to help. It's like, yeah. Right. Um, but it is an industry where also the word relationships often gets mistaken. Yeah. Um, there was a guy at one, Dave Learn, used to say, beware of the client whisperer, where it's like, and he was right, the people that think, oh, I know what they want more, as opposed to using that ability to help the client get to a better place. Yeah. So then it's, we mentioned it earlier, one of the best ways to spot anyone that's being corporate gaslit is when information is withheld. True. One of the, the best ways to check. See, it's interesting, isn't it? Because one of the really toxic things about a gaslighter is that they're not a bully. No. You know, bullying is so the antithesis yeah. of good corporate culture. Yeah. And they get found out these yeah. days, you know. And they're not the, uh, you know, they're not the misogynist. And then, you know, they actually blend in really mm. well. And their modus operandi. Yeah, they look like they're being helpful. Yeah. It, it, but at the whole time, as you say, they withhold information, they twist information, mm. they exclude people, they, uh, they diminish, they, you know, one of the things is diminishing contribution. Yeah, I mean, yes, totally. And I experienced all of that from, a, you know, and, but the, the information thing was really interesting because ultimately it was about control and superiority. Mm. 
and it was designed to make them look high and you not in hierarchy aspects. But and you know some of the stories I I received were they were just horrific. And then what's even more was sometimes companies would back the person who was doing it wrong because this attitude of well they get the results at least they get the results and it's like at what price mm. and you know I wrote a post a while back going you know I think it's wonderful that so many companies are now saying well we want to make sure the team has diversity in it what I'd, I'd love as the next generation of that is for so many companies to put a mental uh, well-being contract in there that no one is going to work more than 40 hours mm. you know it's like there's a lots of things that we can do and it's not about being purist well maybe it is about being purist um I just think when great people are supported and encouraged, it's okay to make mistakes if they're doing the right thing. But when you are basically told that you are not good enough, um, there is a difference. That, and some people aren't good enough. I get that. I've dealt with that in the past. How you deal with it is very important. And a lot of people, because they're too frightened to have an honest conversation in a considerate and caring way, then use the other path, which is often, let's get them to leave whether it's conscious or subconscious. And that's where this thing happens because there's a story I wrote recently where somebody got paid a lot of money and it was just that realization they weren't getting paid a lot of money for their talent. It was for their complicity to yeah. bad behaviors. So this is something that uh, I've become really aware of and, mm. and more so in the last maybe three to five years mm. is middle management in agencies and a lot of them media agencies mm -hmm. where they literally start to feel burnt out mm. because they've gone into advertising wanting to do the best for their client yeah. and they feel like the pressure is for them to give advice to the client that's in the best interest of the agency. Mm. Now it's not the most senior people, it's not the CEOs of the agency because they're on board and they're getting paid well to push the company line. Mm. This is that next tier down and they just get, they, their integrity just gets eaten away mm. by having to turn up to work and be sort of uh, recruited into this process. Insincere. Work, yeah, insincere and working against their best interest, you know, what they believe is the best interest it's, of all involved. It's funny, like a, an old Nike client of mine, old, old past life, just to be very clear, this is not an RGA thing. Um, he once said to me that a lot of middle management want to be told they're right, but senior management want to know how to be better. Mm. And that translates into all sorts of business of what the expectations are. And it's very hard to be uh, transparent and authentic and honest. Um, honesty is the best way for any company to move forward in that respect. But it, it is difficult. I'm not, I'm not saying I have any answer to that. I've been privileged and blessed with, from my gender, uh, my heritage, my background. Mm. Um, what has become really important to me is I've seen too many people who I think, I genuinely believe could add or could change the industry, mm. who aren't in it anymore because they have been told you have to do this, you have to follow that, and if you don't, if you don't, you're going to get kicked out by people who some, it's just definitely, this is my point about good people sometimes make bad mistakes. Mm. Some people are just scared of their situation. Some people are just control freaks. Um, it is everywhere. But I, when you receive over 300 stories 
that are horrible, mm. honestly, where where people literally think it's over. Yeah. Like that that feeling of going, this is it, it's done. Um even though you can say it's not and there's other things, to think it's done, so this is the best and I'm not good enough. Um it's one of the most debilitating elements I I personally have ever experienced. And I was very fortunate for a whole bunch of reasons I was able to change that situation. Um, I didn't have things, I didn't have families relying on me. I was in that. But what's fascinating is there's a lot of people who are stuck, hmm. stuck in it, and they take it more and more, and then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's, it, I just find that fundamentally wrong. Yeah. And people can say, well, they could get out of it. Then they haven't experienced it. Because I know that if I'd stayed in the situation I was in all those years ago, I'd have been, um, I would have gone into clinical depression. Ab absolutely know that for a fact. Mm. Uh, my life would have fundamentally changed. I would not be sitting here with you right now. Yeah. Um, you do get trapped because the whole process of undermining your self-confidence means that you cling mm. to what you've got. It all, it, you know, in a way, it becomes a corporate Stockholm syndrome mm. in that the very abuser would put you in a situation where you have to hold on to that because that's all you know. It's funny. And, and you don't want, you're, you're scared to let go because what out, out there, I may not survive. I, I, I have to stay here because at least I'm surviving. I had uh, someone I know who was in a situation like that and they asked me for some advice. This is before corporate gaslighting. But what really hit me was it was obvious they were working so hard to get the respect of people, of the, the, their leaders. Um, and I said, why? I said, why do you want the respect of people you literally don't respect? Mm. Especially when the caveat is, if they do respect you, then that means you've become complicit and it took me a long time to work that out it's a bit like when um, poor George Michael suffered from depression and there were lots of people how can you be depressed you're a rock star you're but it's it's not about your wealth through a situation it's we are all fragile people at the end we can act it and we can but we quite, fake it till you make yeah, it <laughs> but but all but all that uh, I know is that I've had a life and a career that has been blessed by people believing in me when quite frankly, a lot of people didn't. And, and when I spoke at Circus in Sydney, mm -hmm. um, I remember standing there going, what I found really interesting is everything I've said to you that you've all liked in the audience, you like because you think I work at White and Kendi. I said this eight years ago and nobody gave me a job. You know, yeah. so I was grateful for some people around the land. Not everyone has that. And all I want to do is give people someone where they can go, I'm not alone, might be able to have some help. And if you're one of those bosses, I might learn from it. That's that's all I can do right now. The irony is that it is a people business. Yeah. And yet the behaviours that we're talking about are actually anti-people. Yes. It's actually not achieving the best that people can be. It's trying to control people yeah. to fit into a certain mould, yeah, isn't it's it? It's pro-ego or, or, but it's, yeah, it's not. If you're a leader, maybe uh, maybe it's my years of living in communist countries, but um, if you're a leader, I, I believe your job is to help people be better than they thought they mm. could be. To do that, that, that's an honest and transparent conversation. 
but they know that your intent is to help them in that journey. When they go wrong, you you deal with it. It doesn't mean you you pander. You're not Paul Abdul. You you know you deal with it, but you want them to win well. And my problem is, there's a lot of people who just want people well want themselves to win at the expense of everyone else. And for me, the biggest difference, well, apart from one, is about ego versus team. Is the win well? Mm. I've had amazing uh, colleagues, bosses, and clients. I've had some who aren't, but I've had generally, mm. and that has been about. You will get paid for your point of view, um, as long as you can do it in the right way. We will back you. We might not even agree with you. As we all might ask questions here, we mm. are. But if you're doing that, we will back you. And I realise because there was another situation where I went through some issues. Oh, I can remember. In fact, I'm seeing this person for the first time since uh, Australia in a couple of days, and I was destroyed by these people who just wanted people to do what they wanted because it was about them. Mm. And eventually, I got to leave, but I stayed in the company. It was weird. And then I met this person who asked me to write a presentation. By this point, I thought I was worthless. Mm. Uh, asked me to write a presentation. I showed them this presentation. I said that's great. Thank you. And I went, well, if you just tell me what I'll change, I'll change. He goes, don't, don't need to do that. And I said, oh, no, no, you can. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> and, he, and he said, I've hired you to do this because I trust your point of view. And it was a revelation. Yeah. I've never forgotten that. It's like I might disagree with my team on a bunch of stuff. My God, I'm sure they'll tell you that. But for me, if they've thought it through and they think it's right, then... You back them. Yeah. I, my job is to coach them, not judge them. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying I'm great. There are a load of things I'm really wrong at, but I'd like to see more of that. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, creative directors, you know, mm. you're, you're working very closely yeah. with creative people, you know, obviously mm. through your career. But creative directors, you meet those creative directors that are incredibly... Yeah, humble, mm. but so talented. Yeah. And they bring out the best yeah. in their teams because, yeah, yeah they, they come to the idea and that relationship yeah. wanting the best. And then there's other creative directors that you hear about that are basically judging the work. Yeah. I mean, it, not nurturing it. Their job is, I mean, like my job is, my job is ultimately the standards of uh, strategy for creative expression in products, services, or advertising. But the Anyone that is asked to deliver an idea, that is an incredibly vulnerable. It doesn't matter how you've been doing it, you are, it's incredibly vulnerable. Well, it was once described to me as just standing there naked in front yeah. of a room of people because it's come from you. Yeah, it's, and, it's, and people... You don't create the, something without it coming from you. Their standpoint is look for the faults. Mm. So for me, it's very much a case of, well, it's, it, it's not killing anything. It's about how do you elevate? That's mm. the issue. I use words like, where's your energy at? Which has an incredible way of just getting around judgment. It's like mm. and there's an emotional element of that. But ultimately, my job is to create the space and place for people, basically, to, to push themselves in a way where I have no problems if someone fails if they're trying to be ace. I have a problem if they're lazy. Yeah. But there is an, how do you create an environment that gives people the, the sense that they are allowed to do something great? Mm. And for me, whenever... It's funny, I had this conversation. There's a great... I hate Tom Hanks. I hate Tom Hanks with almost everything I've got. But he wrote this article, which I've sent to a lot of people. Um, because in this industry, it's also... There's a lot of, like you said, bashing an ego. And when, when do I speak up? When do I not speak up? And, mm -hmm. and Tom Hanks was asked, 
have you ever worked with someone you don't like? He goes, absolutely. He goes, I'm cool if I'm working with someone I don't like. But the moment their method of working affects my method to be the best I am, mm -hmm. then we're going to have it out. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about encouraging people to acknowledge that anything that impinges on their ability to be their best is an issue. Yeah. Um, and their best is what leads to the best possible creative creativity. Um, and I'm going to fail. We'll all, all fail. But I would like... I get excited when I see people produce something that none of us expected. Yeah. That, that, I've been fortunate to work on a whole bunch of stuff, but that moment where it, you, it's on the edge of madness or amazing, and then the wheels hit the runway and go, fucking hell, this is going to land. Mm. And I take, my success is when my team are successful. I don't want, my job is to open the door for them to be epic. It is not to open the door, get the things closed the door, then control it. Yeah. Some do that, that's fine. I, I choose the other path. We just noticed the time. It's gone really quickly. Yeah. But if there's someone out there that's uh, not getting a chance to be the best possible person, uh, I'd, I personally would recommend it's what's it called? They tried to kill me, but I live. And well, it's, it's dot, dot live. live. Yeah. yeah. They tried to kill me, but I live. Dot live. Yeah. Uh, and it's all all about corporate gaslighting. So yeah. you know, go there, read the stories, realize you're not alone. Um, if you want to go on the emotional ride, I'd absolutely recommend <laughs> the musings of an opinionated sod. Thank you. Rob Campbell, this has been an absolute pleasure. Great, great to catch up with you. Wonderful, mate. Uh, last question before we go. Uh, you've talked a lot about you know people that have been pivotal in really backing you and giving you a great opportunity. And we don't have enough time to for you to give us the big long list. But who's the most important person in your life? Mm -hmm.